Welcome to the Sports Town Podcast, or the STP Pod for short. No politics, no drama, no arguing. Just two guys talking sports. I'm your host, JJ Peters. In today's show, we're going to discuss the NFL Week 8 highlights. The NBA still wants to start the season before Christmas. The 49ers are in trouble, and much more. And again, before we start today's topics, we'd like to do a poll question every episode. And the question was, of course, you guys can vote on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the question is, who is the midseason MVP right now, Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson? And currently, Russell Wilson leads the vote. All right, so let's get into the let's get into the show here. And the first topic we're going to discuss is Brian Gay winning the Barramuda Championship. Brian Gay wins the Barramuda Championship over the weekend. Gay gets his fifth win on the tour, his first since 2013 at the Humana Challenge in the PGA West Stadium course near Southern California. Gay finished the round at 15 under par. The 48-year-old won in a playoff to get his 14th professional win of his career. Gay has now ranked 181st in the world after winning. Gay is looking to gain momentum after winning his fifth tournament on the tour. Now, my reaction are, this is great for Brian Gay. Um, As I previously mentioned, Gay has not won on the tour in over a year. Uh, He's played on the PGA and the Asian Tour, which not a lot of people know about. And, of course, as I said, recently he won he's got five victories on tour and again he had his best tournament last weekend Um, the former gator has had 14 victories um, since becoming a pro Um, he entered the pga tour in 1994 there is a big chance that gay wins another tournament this season i'm talking about the 2020 slash 2021 season he will definitely be moving up in the world golf ranking we'll see how successful he will be in the future the other quite or the other topic, uh, the other question for this topic we're going to discuss is who is Brian Gay? Uh, Brian Gay is not a very well-known golfer, but maybe just but just like Patrick Kentley, he can gain momentum going into the biggest golf tournament in the world. So with Gay not having any big wins on the tour, maybe he can get come on strong at Augusta National, which would be just crazy. But you know, crazier things have happened. Um, he finished tied for 20th at the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open. He also finished tied for 38th in the Masters in 2013. There are plenty of golfers similar to Gay, but unlike most golfers, he has also played and had success on another tour outside the PGA Tour, which was the Asian Tour. Um, he will look to build that same success at the Houston Open at the Memorial Park Golf Course. And last but not least, who was the mis- most disappointing at the Bermuda Championship? Well, there wasn't really any big names, so I can't really say there was anybody disappointing. Uh, Will Zeltorius, who I predicted to win before the tournament started, I thought he would do better. He finished 8 under par. He tied for 16th. I was expecting a little better, but again, it's this guy just came, is just coming off the Corn Ferry Tour, so I'm going to give him a break. Uh, you do have Wesley Bryan and Cameron Smith, pretty well-known golfers in the golfing world. Uh, didn't even make the cut, so that was a little disappointment, but uh, a little disappointing. But again, there wasn't really anybody big name so i'm not going to say there was really anybody disappointing at the at the uh, championship this year um now let's start with the nba still wants to start before christmas the nba is targeting starting on december 22nd according to commissioner adam silver he still believes the league can pull it off if they can make a decision within a week according to multiple sources the nba could lose up to 500 million dollars if they wait to play in january which would be huge Uh, They also have to play, they would also only have to be able to play 50 games instead of 72, and they might have to play into July, which means they have to compete with the Olympics. And the players that are still in, uh, still in the season couldn't participate and help the the U.S. win their fourth straight gold medal. So that would be huge. Of course, this year, the Olympics is starting in July and it's being played in Tokyo, Japan. 
Uh, my thoughts are I would love for the NBA to start on the 22nd of December, but this is a player's league, and a lot of the players who had to spend over 100 days in the bubble don't want to start until January or at least wait until they as long as they can. Um, now, there's some teams like the Warriors and the Knicks and, you know, I think it was uh, the Pistons, a few teams like that. They want to get back at it. They want to start the season as soon as possible because they haven't played since March. So it would be close to a year before they actually get to start playing a meaningful game. But uh, if Commissioner Adam Silver says the time is running out, it seems less and less likely. Um, I could see them only playing 50 games. You know, 70 looks fine, but it looks like it's only going to be 15. Again, this is a player's league. The players need to agree on what the league just makes before they start the season. And as I've been saying all the time, it's a player's league. The players are going to get what they want. Um, that's a good thing. But at the same time, it kind of stinks because the NBA should start on the 22nd to save money. But unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen. But We'll see what happens, but again, it's a player's league, and the players are going to get what they want. Uh, can the league pull it off? Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, maybe you could get most of the players playing, but not the stars. Uh, Danny Green went on a podcast recently and said that they're, if they do start on the 22nd, then LeBron's not going to be participating. He could practice with the team, do all that stuff, but until he's actually ready, will he will he play? Um, I could see that, but at the same time, LeBron is pretty much the voice and the face of the NBA um, no matter how old he's getting. And, you know, he's not quite as good as he used to be, but uh, he is still the voice of the NBA. And um, pretty much whatever he says, the league has to go with. So I don't think the league can pull off a December 22nd start without without him really saying much. So I think, again, there's it's likely not it's not going to likely start until the 18th or a little after that, even though uh, be a pre-Christmas start would be perfect it's likely not going to happen. Uh, and that, of course, brings up to our next point. Can the league and players union agree on a start date in the middle of January, maybe not January 18th, not December 22nd, kind of early January maybe? That could happen. I mean, you see the lot where they start in the middle. The NHL is targeting a, a January 1st start. Uh, maybe the NBA decides to go with that, but, of course, you have to compete with college football because that's a big date. There's not going to be as many bowl games this year, but they're still – you know, January 1st is always college football day. So the NBA is going to have to think about what they want to do then. I could see a week maybe before January 18th just so they can get a few more games and get a few cash. But, again, I think it's not going to start till January 18th. All right, let's head to the NFL. Uh, two more NFL players test positive for coronavirus. Baltimore Ravens cornerback Marlon Humphreys and Green Bay Packers running back A.J. Dillon have tested positive for COVID-19. Both the Ravens and Packers found on Monday morning after the test results came in. Humphreys and Dillons will now be out for at least one week. Both of them played in week eight, so there could be more players that test positive for COVID. If everything goes well, both players will only miss one game. The Ravens corner and the Packers running back have started to quarantine and self-isolate. As far as we know, nobody else tests positive for coronavirus. The Packers will be without A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams. So Aaron Jones right now, the question is, is Aaron Jones healthy enough? Jamal Williams had to miss last week. Uh, Aaron Jones missed the last two weeks, so without A.J. Dillon or Aaron or Jamal Williams, is Aaron Jones healthy enough to play? That's another good question. And, of course, Humphreys is Baltimore's best corner along with Marcus Peters. That means the veteran Jimmy Smith will have to take Humphreys' position. A few other Ravens players will also likely have to step up in Humphreys' absence. Uh, my thoughts are this is, this is big. 
Um, it seems like almost every week there's at least a few players and big name players testing positive for coronavirus in the NFL. AJ Dillon's not a huge name, but because he plays for the Packers, that's big. Marlon Humphreys is a top five corner, in my opinion, in the league. He's probably the Ravens' best player right now. A lot of Ravens fans would agree with me on that, including uh, the YouTuber Engraven Vids. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is huge. Uh, Marlon Humphreys, again, is a big part of that Ravens defense. And yes, Marcus Peters is a nice fit or is a nice or is a really good corner and a great option for um, to replace Humphreys. But then Jimmy Smith, who hasn't been exactly great and he's getting older. So that's not going to that's not going to be great. And of course, the Packers now, it seems like they're not going to have any of their running backs this season. They'll probably have to go with their four string, which currently I don't know who is. I'd have to look it up. But that's really big. Um, and of course, the whole thing with um, that actually brings me to my qu next question. Do you think there'll be more players that test positive? Uh, there's a big chance. Uh, we haven't heard anything yet, but there's probably a few other players that we don't know about that tested positive for coronavirus. I mean, what happens if Aaron, jo or Aaron Rodgers or Lamar Jackson test positive? They're out at least a week, maybe two weeks at the most. And then, of course, you have to factor in that both teams already have their bye weeks, so they can't really you know, they got to go right at it. So after they get done with quarantine, they got to go at it. So it's going to be hard for both whoever else tests positive to get back into shape and all that good stuff. So um, not great news. And I think there'll be a few more players testing positive. Uh, why did the league find out now instead of on Sunday morning? To be honest with you, I'm not really sure. Um, I heard that on the Dan Patrick show. The Danettes were asking uh, Dan Patrick saying, you know, why did they wait so long when it's a 15 minute diagnosis when you can find out what happens in less than 20 minutes? Dan Patrick didn't really have an answer. And in my opinion, I don't, I don't really either. It's weird because they test every day. And again, within 15 minutes, they're supposed to have a question. Now, there have been rumors of false positives. Matt Stafford for Detroit had a false positive earlier in the year. But uh, that's not a good luck, in my opinion. And I think uh, I don't know why it just I don't know why they found out now instead of, you know, 15 minutes or before the game started. But uh, that's not a good look on the NFL, and they got to fix that before uh, before the season ends. All right, so we, we stay in the NFL, and it's the 49ers are in trouble. The 49ers will be without both their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, and start tight end George Kittle. Garoppolo will be at at least six weeks with an ankle injury. Kittle suffered a fracture in his foot that could cost him the rest of the season. San Francisco has had so many injuries this year that it could cost them a trip to the playoffs. Star Nick Boza is out. Richard Sherman is also out. Raheem Mostert, and they just traded away their linebacker, Quan Alexander. The 49ers are in some deep trouble. Yeah, um, the 49ers can't catch a break. Uh, Kittle's injured again. Garoppolo's injured again. Richard Sherman seems like he still hasn't recovered. Uh, they just traded away Quan Alexander. Um, Raheem Mostert is big, but they have a bunch of other running backs. But now it looks like Jeff Wilson, who had that big debut for 40, San Francisco a few weeks, is now out. So, I mean, especially with the division they play, they play in one of the best divisions in all of football. So, uh, it's it's big. I mean, if you really think about it, the 49ers are in danger of not even having a winning record. Yeah, they'll have a few favorable schedule uh, scheduled games, but it looks like they could go 8-8 eight and, eight and miss the playoffs and get fourth in the division. Uh, clearly, the NFC West is the best division right now. It's the best probably the NFL has ever seen. And it's crazy because the 49ers would be a playoff team if they were in the NFC East. That's how bad the NFC East is and how good the NFC West is. Um, but right now, it seems like the 49ers are pretty much done. Their season is over. They're a 500 team, but they're not even going to get close to the playoffs. So that kind of makes it kind of stinks. 
Um, but that does bring me to my other next question. Can San Fran still make the playoffs with all the injuries? No, they can't. I mean, you can't. There's a there's a point to where you can't return with all those injuries. Uh, yes, a team, it's next man up in the NFL. But when you have half your team out with injuries, uh, that's just an injury to insult. No pun intended. Uh, the 49ers were great last year, but they had a lot of injuries, but they were able to get through them. And without Nick Boza, without Richard Sherman, without George Kittle, I mean, that's huge. I think they can still manage without Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, Garoppolo is a good quarterback. He's making the most out of any player on the 49ers team. And, of course, I, I forgot about Debo Samuel is also out, one of their top receivers. So, I mean, the 49ers can't make a break, and it seems like they're starting to, you know, realize this isn't their year. So they traded away Quan Alexander uh, on Monday, I believe. So the, the answer to mine is the 49ers cannot make the playoffs. Um, and last question for this topic, will the 49ers miss Jimmy G or George Kittle more? My thoughts are, yes, Garoppolo is a good quarterback. And, yes, he gets a lot of grief. And, yes, he's better than people think, but he's not better than George Kittle. George Kittle is that offense. Yes, it's that offense is predicated on the run. But when you have a guy like George Kittle, the best tight end in football, are not the best. I don't know if he's the best tight end in football. I think he's one of the best tight ends in football. Him and Travis Kelsey are really good. But George Kittle can, you know, receive. He's a good pass catcher and he's a great blocker. So when you don't have your guy out there and he's the motivator, I mean, he's a captain. He motivates everybody to play harder. And when you don't have that voice, that's huge. And the 49ers are going to miss George Kittle more, in my opinion, than Jimmy G. Chase Elliott takes the checkered flag at Martinsville, the oldest track in NASCAR history. With the win, Elliott now seals his ticket to the championship four with Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlet, and Joey Logano. The driver of the number nine car got a seventh win this season and will look to join his dad in winning a NASCAR Cup. The one driver that will not be joining him that dominated all season will be Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick was eliminated from contention after finishing 17th place at Martinsville Speedway. Kevin Harvick won the most races this season, but didn't even make it the championship four at Phoenix Raceway. Because of the point system, Harvick needed to finish in the top 15 to qualify for the championship. But as we all know, he finished 17th and was eliminated from the contention. After the race was over, Harvick stated that there will never be another driver to win a NASCAR Cup like Dale Earnhardt or Richard Petty back in the day. Uh, first of all, that's a huge, uh, huge news for Chase Elliott. Uh, team number nine and Hendrick Motorsports. Congratulations. They get a big win. Now Chase Elliott goes to the final race of the year with all the momentum. And of course, we can't forget what happened to Kevin Harvick, though. I mean, that's just got to be disappointing. Kevin Harvick was pretty much dominant all season, but yet the last three races haven't been good. He ends up not even qualifying for the championship four. So I think their NASCAR needs to be able to fix that in future years because, in my opinion, Kevin Harvick was better. Than Joey Logano. Yes, Joey Logano won one of the races to see him into the championship four, but NASCAR might need to fix that in in future years. Kevin Harvick again, like if we were now when I know the chase um, chase for the cup and the playoff system started back in 2004, but before that, Kevin Harvick would have won the season. Yes, you want to emphasize more of a competitive, you know, competitive races for the last few events, but like really to leave Kevin Harvick out like that, that's just not. That's just not fair, and I feel like NASCAR is going to have to do something about it. They probably won't, but they need to do something about it. Uh, who, has, who has the edge to win the Cup this week? Well, with Chase Elliott winning, he has a huge shot. Now, I predicted a few weeks ago that Chase Elliott wouldn't even make it the championship four. Well, I was completely wrong, as Chase Elliott is now in the championship four. 
Um, you know, Denny Hamlin could also have some advantage because he's been kind of right. He's been the second best racer behind Kevin Harvick. Uh, Brad Kozlowski and Joey Logano are kind of wild cards right now. Uh, Kozlowski's won a few races this season and has been kind of in contention. But Joey Logano, I just don't know how well he'll do. I mean, there is a chance he could win his second cup in three years. But in my opinion, it's Chase's Elliott's to lose. Um, he has a very big chance to win and be a face of NASCAR, something that NASCAR hasn't had. And plus, NASCAR is losing their face, Jimmy Johnson. So to replace him with Chase Elliott is great for NASCAR, great for the sport. And I can't wait for what Chase Elliott does in the future. Um, and then, of course, I talked a little bit about this, but should NASCAR fix the playoffs for next year? Yes, they should. I think they should somehow take away if you win a race, um, you're not automatically qualified. They should go back to the point system to where um, Kevin Harvick should have had enough points to where he would have made it a championship four. I mean, that's just highway robbery. Kevin Harvick should have been in. Um, in my opinion, again, if we were if we were before 2004, Kevin Harvick would have most likely won the season or would have won the cup. But I understand they want to make him more competitive and make it more interesting the last few races. But that's just highway robbery to Kevin Harvick, who was the best driver this season. All right, let's get a preview of the 2020 MLB Awards. The MLB has announced their nominees for this season's awards. Um, the NL and AL MVP, the NL and AL Signing Award, the NL and AL Rookie of the Year, and the NL AL Manager of the Year. The MLB will release the winners very soon, today and tomorrow, and all the awards were voted on before the postseason started. So therefore, the postseason will not matter. And first, we got to get predictions for the AL and NL MVP. Save the best for first, actually, in my opinion. And the AL MVP, very tough. I'm surprised Mike Tratt was not in the consideration. But for the AL MVP, I got to give it to DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees. Uh, yeah, the Yankees didn't have the season they were expecting, but DJ LeMahieu was consistent all year and had a great run, in my opinion. He deserves the MVP in the American League. And the National League MVP, I think, is a little more closer. You had Mookie Betts, Manny Machado, Freddie Freeman. All of them had great years, but I would say Mookie Betts stands above all of them. Uh, this would be his second MVP, his first NL. He won one in 2018 with the Red Sox and uh, he, the crazy part about it is he also won a World Series in 2018. Now he's got another World Series in 2020, and he's likely going to get MVP. I think he edges out Manny Machado. Uh, you know, Mookie Betts, I think, has solidified himself as the second place in baseball, be only behind Mike Trout. Uh, predictions for the AL and NL signing award winner. I think for the AL, it's pretty much a done a done deal. Uh, Shane Bieber of the Indians is going to win it. Yeah, he didn't have a great postseason, but again, the playoffs doesn't matter. So I think, in my opinion, Shane Bieber walks away with it. Now, the National League, it's a little closer. Uh, Trevor Bauer, of course, will probably win it. But Jacob deGrom of the Mets has something to say about that as well. But I think Trevor Bauer just slightly edges out deGrom. Uh, predictions for the AL and NL Rookie of the Year. That one's kind of tough, but the American League, it's pretty simple. Um, Kyle Lewis of Tampa, or not uh, Tampa, sorry. Kyle Lewis of the Seattle Mariners is likely going to win it. Um, he was even... A lot of people said if there was an all-star game this year, he would have started at second baseman for the American League, which is crazy. Um, kudos to him. He's had a great year. And the NL rookie of the year is kind of close, but Jake Cronworth of the Padres is likely going to win it. Um, you could say a lot of players, but he kind of went under rage just because of how good Machado and Tatistas were. But don't sleep on this guy. This guy's going to have definitely a good future. And the Padres, Padres are looking bright right now. They could be, again, contenders next season. And last but not least, for the MLB Awards, the AL and NL Manager of the Year. In the American League, um, it's pretty simple. It's Kevin Cash. 
He led the Tampa Bay Rays the best record in baseball for the shortened 60-game season. You don't really have to say more than that. Uh, the NL Manager of the Year, very close, actually. Uh, Don Mattingly of the Marlins will definitely get consideration. But what Jace Tingler did to the Padres, which is normally a joke of a franchise, was able to do and go from pretty much the worst team to competing with the Dodgers and having the second-best record in the National League. It's just crazy. And um, I think the Padres are going to be contenders for years to come, and it's going to be hard for anybody to stop, especially that good hitting. If they can find a little better pitching, they can be really hard to stop. And last but not least, it's highlights of Week 8 in the National Football League. Steelers versus Ravens. One of the biggest games in Week 8 happened at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, Maryland. The biggest rivalry in all sports between the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers happened. The Steelers came into the game at 6-0 as the only undefeated team in the league. The Ravens were fresh off their bye and were 5-1 and and looking to take a lead in the top AFC North division. The game didn't start off well for Baltimore. Reigning league MVP Lamar Jackson threw a pick six on his first pass attempt. The Ravens would score on the next drive to tie the game 7-7. Baltimore would score 10 unanswered points to make it a 17-7 lead going into the break. Jackson would throw an interception and had a fumble. Big Ben didn't play great either, but it did not. He didn't turn the ball over and kept Pittsburgh in the game. He would throw a touchdown pass to Eric Ebron, and eventually James Conner would score a touchdown to put the Steelers up by four. The Ravens would take the lead thanks to a pass from Lamar Jackson to Marquise Hollywood Brown. However, Pittsburgh would score on their last drive or score on their second to last drive and never look back. The Ravens would fumble the ball late in the fourth quarter, and eventually they would come up just short as the Steelers would hold on to win 28-24. Uh, Jackson would finish the game with 208 yard throwing yards and would throw two touchdown passes. He also threw two interceptions and fumbled. J.K. Dobbins had 15 carries for 113 yards, filling in from the injured Mark Ingram. And Willie Sneed had five receptions for 106 yards. Big Ben was 21 of 32 for 182 yards and two touchdowns. James Conner rushed for 47 yards on 15 attempts and had one rushing touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster had seven receptions for 67 yards. Packers-Vikings. Another big rivalry happened at Lambeau Field on Sunday. The Green Bay Packers squared up to take on their enemy, the Minnesota Vikings. The Packers are 5-1 and one and heavy favorites. But Minnesota, on the other hand, was 2-5. and five. However, the game didn't quite happen the way you thought it would. The Packers' first possession ended a touchdown thanks to Devonta Adams' catch from Aaron Rodgers. Both teams would exchange touchdowns in the first half. However, the Vikings would find success thanks to all-pro running back Dalvin Cook. At the break, the game was tied at 14-14, but in the early third quarter, the Dalt Vikings would open the door, or not open the door, the Vikings would take a big lead. They had a 28-14 lead thanks to three rushing touchdowns by Dalvin Cook. Green Bay would score again and make the two-point conversion, but it was a little too late. The Packers fell to the Vikings 28-22. Cousins threw a whopping 14 passes for 160 yards and one touchdown. Dalvin Cook was the MVP of the game and scored three touchdowns while rushing for 163 yards and could not be stopped. Rodgers threw for 291 yards and three scores. Jamal Williams had 16 carries for 75 yards, and tight end Robert Tanyan had five receptions and 79 yards. Bengals-Titans. Well, I definitely didn't see this coming. The Cincinnati Bengals, led by rookie quarterback Joe Burrow, upset the Tennessee Titans. The Titans were massive favorites against this year's worst team in the league, or last year's worst team in the league. Many analysts thought the Titans were even better than they were last year after competing with the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. The Bengals would take the lead 17-7 and half and had a 31-14 lead at one point. They would hold on to beat the Titans 31-20. The Bengals are now 2-5-1 and, and might not be as bad as 
we all thought they would be. Joe Burrow is proving to doubters and maybe even wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. And the Titans have a lot of work to do going into next week. Burrow threw three touchdown passes and threw for 249 yards. Ryan Tannehill had 233 yards passing and two touchdowns. T. Higgins led the game six receptions for for 78 yards. And Corey Davis led Tennessee with eight receptions for 128 yards. Giovanni Bernard had 15 carries and 62 yards and added one score. Browns versus Raiders. Another upset happened this week in Cleveland, Ohio. The Las Vegas Raiders win to First Energy Stadium and beat the Browns 16-6. The game did start off well for the Raiders, though. They missed the field goal in their opening drive and couldn't take advantage of Cleveland's turnover. They would eventually take a 13-6 lead. The Raiders' D would force the Browns to attempt a field goal in their last possession, and they would miss it. Derek Carr would throw a touchdown pass and have 112 yards on the air. Josh Jacobs would rush for 128 yards on 31 attempts. Baker Mayfield only completed 12 of his 25 passes for 122 yards. Kareem Hunt had 14 carries for 66 yards, and Jarvis Landry had four receptions for 52 yards. Rams-Dolphins. The debut of Tua Tungavaloa happened on Sunday in Miami. The Dolphins were expected to lose a big against the Rams, but it was the complete opposite. L.A. lost to Miami by 11 despite gaining the Dolphins in every category. Although the game started off well for the Rams, the two-time defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald, would force a fumble after sacking the rookie Tungavaloa that led to the first score of the game. However, the Dolphins tied the game thanks to a Tua pass to Davante Parker. The Dolphins would eventually jump out to a 28-10 lead at half. They would eventually win the game 28-17 to put the Dolphins at 4-3 and and a chance to compete for the playoffs. Again, I never saw that coming. It's been a very bizarre 2020 season. Tangavalo only threw for 93 yards on 22 passing attempts, but did have a touchdown pass. Miles Gaskin had 47 yards on the ground and scored. For the Rams, Jared Goff threw an unexpected 61 times for 355 yards and one touchdown. Daryl Henderson had 47 yards on the ground. Cooper Cup had 110 yards reception. And Aaron Donald finished the game with four tackles and one sack. Bears-Saints. The 4-2 and two Saints traveled to Soldier Field in Chicago, Illinois, to take on the 5-2 and two Bears. Both teams started their first drive with three points. The Bears would score the first touchdown of the game and jump out to a 13-10 lead at half. The Saints would score 13 unanswered points, though, in the third quarter to take a 23-13 lead going into the final quarter. However, Nick Foles released what he's capable of doing. Foles would drive the Bears down the field, score a touchdown, and get the last-second field goal by Carlos Santos. He drilled a 51-yarder to go into overtime. But the Bears would not do anything in overtime. On the second possession of New Orleans Drive, they would set up a game-winning field goal, thanks to some nice plays by Alvin Kamara. Will Lutz would drill a 31-yard field goal to give the Saints their fifth win of the year. Final score, the Saints 26, the Bears 23. Breeze had 208 yards passing and two touchdowns. Alvin Kamara had 67 yards on the ground and had 97 yards receiving. Foles threw for 272 yards and two touchdowns. David Montgomery had 89 yards and 21 attempts. And Allen Robinson had 87 yards and one touchdown. Eagles-Cowboys. Despite both teams having terrible records, they still have a chance to make the playoffs, and both of them got a primetime matchup. The two 4-1 Eagles hosted their bitter rival, the Dallas Cowboys, who were 2-5. and five. Luckily for the Eagles, quarterback Dak Prescott was hurt, and third-string quarterback Ben DiNucci got the start for Dallas. Things seemed very rough for the Cowboys at first, but the Eagles would turn the ball over three times in the first half. The Eagles, despite having all their troubles, only trailed 9-7 going to halftime, but the fans let them hear it after booing them going into the break. 
In the opening drive of the second half, the Carson Wentz would throw another interception, but the Cowboys would once again not take advantage of the turnover and miss the field goal. The Eagles would score two more touchdowns and get a safety to make it a 23-9 game. Dallas would not be able to get the onside kick to work, and the Cowboys lost their sixth win, lost their sixth, lost their sixth time this season. Philly is now three and four and one and could host a playoff game in January. Went through for 123 yards, but and threw in two interceptions. Boston Scott rushed for 70 yards, and Travis Fulgram had six receptions for 78 yards. Ben DiNucci was 21 of 40 for 180 yards. Zeke had 19 carries for 63 yards, and Marcus Gallup caught the ball seven times for 61 yards. Last but not least, Monday night football highlights. Last game of week eight happened on Monday night in the Meadowlands. Tampa Bay took on the New York Giants at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. The Bucs were trying to keep the momentum up and try to start a 6-2 and two for the first time in a very long time. Tampa Bay, of course, was the favorite, but struggled early. The Buccaneers had one turnover, punted twice, and were only able to score two field goals in the first half. The Giants took advantage of the bad start for Tampa and scored two touchdowns to take a 14-6 lead at the break. Daniel Jones, though, he continued to struggle and turned the, turn the ball over twice in the second half. The Buccaneers would take a 15-14 lead and then a 22-17 lead in the fourth quarter. They would get a field goal to seal to make to get more insurance to be up 25-17. But Danny Dimes somehow was able to get two fourth down conversions and throw a touchdown pass to veteran Golden Tate, who is now the only third active player in the league to have a catch in every single game other than Larry Fitzgerald and Julio Jones, who were two future Hall of Famers. It looked like this game was going in overtime, but the two-point conversion failed as Daniel Jones threw an incomplete pass looking for running back Deion Lewis. The Giants failed on their onside kick attempt and suffered another tough blow in the bizarre 2020 season, even though the last play of the game had some controversy where it was originally a pass interference, but they took the flag down and decided not to call it. Head coach Joe Judds of the New York Giants was not happy about the decision and called the refs on it. The six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady threw for 279 yards, two touchdowns. Leonard Fournette rushed the ball for 52 yards, and Mike Evans had 55 yards receiving on five receptions. Jones had 256 yards passing, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Wayne Gallman, who got the start, got 44 yards rushing. Well, that's a wrap for this amazing episode. Thanks for listening to the Sports Down Podcast, or the STP Pod for short. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and much more. We release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. If you haven't subscribed yet, just hit that button on the right. Don't forget to like, comment, and rate. Also, if you want to check out the other videos, just click the button on the left.